Well, good evening. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, James chapter 3. We'll be in James chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 to 12. James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our blessed God and Father, we know that your words are the only pure words. We thank you that though we are full of imperfect words, you have given us your perfect word. Bless us with your spirit this evening so that we would understand the things that you have revealed to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. On June 4th, 1940, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill gave a famous speech during World War II. In it, he said this, and I'm sure some of you are familiar. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. I'm sure, like I said, many of you are familiar with that. But these words were used to encourage a country in the midst of much difficulty to not lose heart. They were words that inspired bravery and integrity in a whole country. Contrast that with these words. Anti-Semitism, however, must lead to a Systematic, legal opposition, and elimination of the special privileges which Jews hold, in contrast to the other foreigners living among us, its final objective must unswervingly be the removal of Jews altogether. These words were spoken by Adolf Hitler. This horrific language, repeated in the propaganda throughout the country, led uh, Hitler to persuade a whole country in the dehumanizing of millions of Jews, eventually leading to the atrocities 
of the Holocaust. The first quote from Churchill was an encouragement to a country at war for bravery and fighting for what was right. The second, by Hitler, was an example of how words and ideas change a whole country's view of a group of people. That was the Jews. It's clear from speeches like these, and others like them, that our words have incredible power. They not only have incredible power to unite, but on the other hand, they're capable of great destruction. Nowadays, the lives and reputations of people can be completely destroyed in a word or two, either said in the wrong context or uh, in the wrong way. I'm sure that you have seen many examples of this. Our words spoken with our tongues have great power for both building up and destroying. Is it interesting that our tongues, as such small objects, carry such great power? Of course, with such great power comes the difficulty of keeping them under control. Now, as we turn to our text, it is this difficulty in keeping our speech under control that James focuses on. And as we'll see, it is of vital importance that Christians ought to seek to tame their tongues. Remember two weeks ago when we looked at chapter 2, the section right before this, it talks about faith without works being dead. It might seem like a complete change of subjects, but I want us to see that this section on the tongue is really building off the previous section. Because isn't it often the case that those who pretend to follow Christ are the ones quick to boast of great things with their mouths? Think of the Pharisees who would make long prayers to be heard by others. Or it's like the man in James 2.15 who says with words only to the one poorly clothed and lacking in food, go in peace and be warmed. Yet he does not do anything for the physical needs of the person. Isn't it the case, more often than we would like, that our tongues reveal a divide between what we say we believe and how we actually live? It is our tongues that can boast of great things, yet our lives do not match up. As James points out, that faith without works is dead, not that our works have the ability to save us, but that our actions reveal the state of our faith so also our tongues reveal the state of our hearts. Therefore, true Christians will seek to tame the tongue. True Christians will seek to tame their tongues. Not that this will be done completely on this side of heaven, just as we will not completely put all of our sins to death, but is there evidence of growth in the taming of your tongue? How do you speak to your spouse? How do you speak to friends? How do you speak to family members, your children? What do you post on social media? It's good uh, to reflect on our words because, like I said, true Christians will seek to tame their tongues. And as we walk through this passage, James gives us two reasons that Christians ought to tame their tongues. First, we seek to tame our tongue because of its great power. Second, we seek to tame our tongue because of the great destruction it can cause. And lastly, the question of how do we tame our tongues? What steps do we take to tame the tongue? First, 
We seek to tame the tongue because of its great power. In verses 1 to 5, James emphasizes this great power of the tongue. It is one of the smallest members. It is also one of the most powerful members. James shows us the power of the tongue with two illustrations. These two comparisons emphasize that the tongue has great power to exercise dominion over the whole of life. He first compares it to a bit in a horse's mouth. Of course, the bit in a horse's mouth controls the whole body. And without it, it is an untamed horse and a ferocious animal. If you've maybe seen the movie of uh, The Lord of the Rings, think of the riders of Rohan uh, charging through uh, enemy lines on horseback. Uh, these enemies had no, no ability to stop these, these fierce a- animals. And these small bits have the power in the mouth of the horse to bring the whole body of this animal under control. In a similar way, he gives an example of, of great ships being directed by such small uh, rudders wherever the will of the captain chooses. Maybe you've been on uh, cruise ships before, uh, the ones that now have malls and movie theaters and water parks on board. They're so big that you can almost forget you're on a ship. These massive ships, as we know, are controlled by such a small rudder in back that you often don't even see, but you feel its effects. So also, as these small objects have such great power, so do our tongues. They're such small members, out of proportion to their size, have such great power to build up or to destroy. And it's no surprise that our tongues have such power. If we reflect that we are made in the image of God, the God who spoke the world into existence and who also upholds the, the world by the word of his power. Yet with this great power of the tongue, it makes it very difficult for us sinners to control. In fact, in verse 8, James says that no human being is able to tame the tongue, except, of course, our Lord Jesus himself. Why is that? Why is it so difficult for us to tame the tongue? James answers that in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. We are sinners, and as such, we wield the power of the tongue as sinners. We speak in a way that reflects our inner nature. As Jesus himself says in Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We cannot help to speak out what is within. We cannot help to speak out what is within It's like the delightful breath that you have in the mornings. Some of you worse than others. It doesn't matter how well you brushed your teeth the night before. No matter what you say, your spouse and your kids will still be smelling the sweet aroma of your morning breath. You can't help giving off what is within. Or again, think of a cop pulling someone over for drinking and driving. As the cop walks up to the side of the car, knocks on the window, person rolls down the the window, and the first thing the, the officer smells is the smell of alcohol. Because what is true on the inside permeates the air around him. So also, as sinners, our tongues breathe out what is true of our hearts. 
If it's rottenness on the inside, the power of the tongue will reveal it. If the good fruit of the gospel, then our tongues will be like well-functioning bits in the mouths of horses or well-functioning rudders on the back of ships. Now, as James says, the ability to bridle the uh, great power of the tongue is a mark of true Christian maturity because this man is able to bridle his whole body. The one who can control the tongue is the one who can control themselves. Now, I wonder how the battle for taming the tongue is going for you. Maybe some of you have not even considered that there is a battle to sanctify your speech at all. Maybe it's like dressing up fancy for a party and you're having your your best suit or your best dress, but you have this massive piece of pepper stuck in your teeth and everyone notices except for you. So also, you come to church and maybe you send your kids to a Christian school, which is all well and good, but you have, the rotten, you have rottenness in your speech and everyone around you notices except for you. If you were to go back and listen to your conversations this week with your wife, with your children and friends, coworkers, posts on social media, how would they sound? Are your words gracious and seasoned with salt? Or are they destructive and divisive? Again, our words are reflections of what is true in our hearts. Both our internal speech and our external speech are controlled by the conditions of our hearts. And the bridling of the tongue is a mark of true Christian maturity. Our our words are a great mirror to see the reflection of our spiritual condition. Do your words reflect the speech of a follower of Christ? Because of the great power of the tongues, they are particularly difficult to control. This is why James gives such a stern warning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. And this is the reason not many of us should become or seek a profession in the church that centers around the use of the tongue. Teachers put themselves in great danger of judgment because the main tool of their ministry is the one that is most difficult to control. Now, I'm sure it's by complete happenstance that this section was given to one of the pastoral interns to preach on. But in reality, uh, this teaching is in line with what Jesus, or what Jesus' own words when he says in Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much is given, much of him will be required. Teachers in the church are entrusted to use the power of their tongues to teach and preach the whole counsel of God to his people. This is a great responsibility, and those who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. James is telling his audience that this is not something that is to be pursued lightly because of the difficulty of taming the tongue. Now, as it is true for teachers, it's also true for us that where there are more words, there's often more errors. Where there are more words, often there are more errors. We are not yet fully sanctified people. And we wield the great power of the tongue as sinners. And so we must be careful to bridle our tongues. Second, we seek to tame our tongues because of the destruction caused by them. We seek to tame our tongues because of the destruction caused by them. 
Now we just saw that there's a disproportionate power to the tongue related to its size because such a small object has such great power. Uh, James now warns us, uh, this small member can cause such great destruction. Now as bits and, uh, and rudders are such small things, used for great purposes, disproportionate to their size, so also the tongue can cause great damage, disproportionate to its size. Listen to the way James describes the tongue in verse 6. He calls it a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is something that stains the whole body. It's like the red sock that you put in the wash of white clothes. Turns all of the other clothes into this pinkish white. Something so small can pollute so much. So our tongues can stain the whole body with just a few words. We know this from experience. A few small words can render someone a complete hypocrite with those who hear. Uh, As Kevin pointed out last uh, week ago, we think of Peter and his trial before the servant girl while Christ was before the Sanhedrin. One phrase repeated three times. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. Instantly, those around Peter who knew that he was with Christ would have rendered him a complete hypocrite. He had followed Christ for the past few years, but in a few small phrases, he denied all of it. But friends, isn't it wonderful that there is grace for us in Christ for our own hypocrisy? As he restores Peter, he can restore the damage that we have done with our tongues. James goes on to describe the tongue as something that sets on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The tongue is set on fire by hell itself. As Calvin describes it, that fire sent by Satan is most easily caught by the tongue so that it immediately burns. In short, it is a material fitted for receiving, fostering, and increasing the fire of hell. In other words, our tongues are the best tool for spreading the venom of hell sent by Satan himself. Now, if you think back to Genesis 3, was it not the poison of Satan's deadly words in the garden that caused our first parents to sin? Did God really say, you will not surely die? You will be like him. It was the subtlety of the poisonous words that turned sin into something desirable. Now, according to verse 8, our tongues are full of this deadly poison as well. It is a restless evil, and it is this restless evil of our own tongues that can lead us to say biting words and inject the poison of bitterness and anger, jealousy, and a whole host of sins into those who hear us. Our words, whether they are spoken to a spouse or a family member, blogged about online, posted on social media, have the potential for great damage and division. With the explosion of the internet, we now have the capability to publicly use our words to dump gasoline on already fiery situations. There is no situation that is so bad that your words cannot make worse. There's no situation so bad that your words or my words cannot make worse. How are you using your tongue? Is it used for building up 
or tearing down. James uses another example to show the disproportionate damage the tongue can have. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You may remember last year, California had so many forest fires. Um, But people driving down the interstate and whole walls of mountains just ablaze, set on fire. And, And then the great damage that was caused by them. I mean, just everything was charcoal at the end. It was devastating. Do you know how uh, one of these fires was started? It was a spark from a firework at a gender reveal party. What started out as something playful and fun led to the enormous, an enormous amount of destruction. What a similar picture we have with our tongues. We even have the saying that rumors spread like wildfire. One may think of it as a little lie or a slander spoken to a friend. Isn't that bad? Or even a little passive-aggressive word might actually be helpful because then maybe they'll pick up on my frustration and apologize. Or kids in the room, how does it feel when your brother or sister calls you a name? It doesn't feel very good. We may never know the damage that it can be caused by the carelessness of our words. As One commentator puts it, the sad thing is, is we often have tongues that take more pleasure in idolatry than in doxology. We often have tongues that take more pleasure in idolatry than in doxology. Now the poison of the tongue goes further to include this sort of doubleness or or dualism. Verse 9 says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. On the one hand, we can can bless God, we can say blessings about him, and yet on the other hand, we can curse those who are made in his image. How can, he asks in verse 10, from the same mouth come blessings and cursings? How can the same mouth sing praises to God on Sunday and yet curse his neighbor during the week? What words do you say about someone when their name is mentioned in a conversation? Or it's mentioned on social media? Do you find yourself slandering others, even if the person is a brother or sister in Christ? Even with all the political tensions and the craziness, how do you speak about others? Do we come to bless God on Sundays and yet curse those made in his image throughout the week? Now, I want to make an important distinction here. It is clear in our world that many have the idea that a tamed tongue means I never offend anybody. I never correct anybody. So we may hear the sermon and walk away and think, well, I must never say anything that is going to offend anybody. Well, good luck, right? But if we reflect at all on the scriptures, we know that that's not the case. For example, how can James, in the very next chapter, turn around and call this people an adulterous people for trying to be friends with the world and friends with God? Where's the tame tongue, James? Or or what about Jesus? In Matthew 23, speaking of the scribes and Pharisees, he calls them hypocrites, children of hell, blind guides, blind fools, whitewashed tombs. Or where 
when the Pharisees and Sadducees come out to John when he's baptizing, they call, he calls them a brood of vipers. This all seems a little harsh. It almost seems like evidence of an untamed tongue. But there's a distinction between a rebuke and a curse. A curse is an assault on a person only for the sake of harming. The one cursing cares nothing for the holiness of God or the repentance of the other person. Rather, it is out of anger or rage or pride that the insults are flung. It's like what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Out of this anger comes brash insults, meant only to cut down and to destroy. It's like saying, you're dead to me, or you mean nothing, or to the heck with you. A curse is always out of place. A curse is always out of place. A rebuke, on the other hand, calls sin for what sin is, but on the authority of God's word. It doesn't mean that we need to Always use kind or fluffy words to talk about sin. A rebuke is said out of a love for the holiness of God and even a hope of repentance for the other person. A rebuke stands on the authority of God's word to correct rather than coming from a heart of anger or or pride in oneself. A curse is like a, a sword that cuts to kill and destroy. A rebuke is like a scalpel in the hand of a surgeon. Though it cuts, its goal is to bring healing and correction. The righteous tongue that is used to bless God can also be the righteous tongue that brings rebuke. Now, this may seem like a fine line, and it can be at times. We therefore ought to be very quick to hear and slow to speak. And lastly, how do we seek to control the tongue? What do we do? You may be thinking, well, this is all well and good, and what do I do to to take steps in taming the tongue? James says in verse 10, my brothers, these things ought not be so. That is, there should not be this doubleness or this dualism in your speech, blessing God and yet cursing others that are made in his image. Now, As we uh, read back in chapter 126 of James, he says, If anyone thinks he is religion and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So how do we do this? How do we tame the tongue? James does not give us a nice three-step process of how to accomplish what he is warning against. In fact, there are many times in Scripture that there is not this three-step process Three easy step process to uh, put into practice uh, this, this section. With that said, let me give you five ways to control your tongue. Not necessarily looking at James 3, 1 to 12, but looking at where we have come so far in the book of James as a whole. First, chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. What a great promise. 
If you do not know how to navigate certain sins you're struggling with, particularly with the tongue, James tells us to ask the Lord for wisdom. Friends, as powerful as our tongues can be in destructive profanity, they can also be used in powerful petitions. As powerful as our tongues can be in destructive profanity, they can also be used in powerful petitions. Second, chapter one, verse 14 says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. As we have seen, our sin comes from what is true on the inside. It is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So what words are you filling yourself with? Does your speech reflect the pure water of scripture? Or does your speech just reflect a heart that is starved of scripture? Do you let your bitterness and anger fill your heart? Then expect bitterness and anger to pollute your speech as well. We should be watchful of what we are filling our hearts with. Third, chapter 1, verse 19 says, Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. We ought to be quick to listen and listen carefully to others and slow to speak. Do you always desire to be the first one to share your thoughts in a situation? As I have often heard it said, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. He also says, slow to anger. Our speech should not be driven by anger. Fourth, chapter two, verse 12 says, and so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Do you speak as one who has been forgiven in Christ? As one whose speech is full of the grace that you have received? Is your speech gracious? Fifth, and lastly, we ultimately need a renewed heart. We need a new heart. If it is the heart that is connected to the tongue, and from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, we need a new heart. Apart from Christ, a dead and stony heart will make itself known in speech. Often, the first thing that someone notices about a new Christian is that they sound different. They don't talk like they used to. It is Christ alone who did not stumble in one word who can give us this new heart that overflows in new speech. We must start here if we desire to make any progress in the taming of our tongue. Friends, our tongues have great power for both blessing and cursing, for both tearing down and building up. As a great forest can be set ablaze by such a small fire, so our tongues can set on fire the entire course of life. So let the forest of this world be set ablaze by the gospel that is on our lips. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need you every hour to help us fight our sin, particularly the sins coming from our tongue. If we must give an account for every idle word that we have spoken, 
we stand condemned. If by our words we shall be justified and by our words we shall be condemned, then woe to us. As with a horse's bridle, help us to restrain our mouth so that we are not quick to utter whatever comes into our head, but help us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Let our speech be full of grace and let our and let truth of your words never depart from our mouth. In Jesus' name, amen.